Hello and welcome to the We Are Geeks, a Nightmare on Elm Street podcast from wearetessellate.com, where every Friday we will be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. The We Are Geeks podcast series is published by We Are Tessellate, and it is a completely independent podcast series. We Are Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Come to Freddy. Geeks. Geeks. That wasn't enough, was it? It was better just to whisper. Geeks. Geeks. Hello, welcome to our Geeks, a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective podcast. We're on our final episode, which is the 2010 remake, A Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street. Street. Once a week, we've been going through this entire franchise in order, starting with the first one in 1984, ending up here in 2010. Joining me on this journey is Alexander Chard. I've been here from the start. <laughs> that is factually correct. <laughs> and I'm your host, Al White. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. If you want to watch uh, how dark it is now, because it's 1.45, then go on YouTube and uh, you can check out the video version of this podcast. You yeah. just type in Tessellate or Geeks or Nightmare on Elm Street and Geeks, something like that. You should find us. We are we are Tessellate and you can subscribe to that channel. Um, oh, we made it, man. We made it. Here we are. And I hope that people watching or listening have followed us every step of the journey. I hope so. I hope people are watching it while they do it. Because I listen to some of these podcasts um, and I tend to just go through them, even films I haven't seen in ages or some films I've never seen. I just listen to nine hours of Children of the Corn <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I've never seen a single Children of the Corn film. Now I know a lot about them. But it's weird because I listen to uh, some nightmare ones and now I kind of want to go back to them now that I've revisited them recently. Um, to hear some of the stories and see some Here's other some people's of opinions yeah, that's a good on idea. what they liked and what they didn't like. So I might actually do that, even though I just finished listening to them recently. <laughs> but whatever. What's what's life if not to be wasted by listening to dumb podcasts like ours? Exactly. Speaking of dumb podcasts, let's get this one going, shall we? Let's do it. 2010, the remake, uh, new start, resetting the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, it is being produced by Platinum Dunes, which is Michael Bay's company. Um, now, this is a company known for horror films. They did the remake of The Hitcher. They did the remake of Friday the 13th. They did the remake of uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Amityville Horror, I believe, was one of theirs as well. They did some non-remakes, like The Uninvited, I think, was one of theirs. Um, and recently, for some reason, they've done the Two Turtles films, which are folded into these Platinum Dune films, which is weird. Because yes. you think <laughs> that would just be along with Transformers or something. It's strange that they're Platinum Dunes, but there you go. Um, but historically, they have a history of making very slick but soulless horror remakes. <laughs> we'll see if that is the case with this one. We or will. Not. We um, will indeed. But first of all, as we like to do a little bit of history, uh, I have some facts I'll drop in throughout our, our conversation. But to begin with, how this one came about and how they struggled with, you know, how are you going to do it? So the director they got for this was a guy called Samuel Bayer. Now, he's pretty famous for music videos. He, uh, for instance, it Smells Like Teen Spirit with Nirvana. Um, he also did uh, Garbage music video, Justin Timberlake, Metallica, Green Day, Blink-182, Offspring, Sheryl uh, Crow, Pat Benatar, The Cranberries, David Bowie, Smashing Pumpkins, Poison. He's really done a whole bunch of stuff. But his first video 
was Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit, which he was uncredited for, apparently. Um, so that's what he's renowned for. He is not renowned for doing narrative stuff, just for music videos. Uh, Michael Bay, however, came to him and the director turned down the offer to make this movie twice. Um, and he eventually agreed to do it after he received an impassioned email from Michael Bay. Um, so by the time Nightmare on Elm Street came along, Bay had already turned down his offer, Bay's offer to direct Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He'd also turned down the offer to make the Amityville Horror. Um, and then he turned around and said no to Nightmare on Elm Street twice. But he told shocktoyoudrop.com what happened next. Quote, Michael Bay sent me an email and it made a lot of sense, just talking about the business and why this was a good movie to make. There was a lot of opportunities in doing this that might not have happened with another film. I thought whatever that first film was going to be, it better be the right one. Michael said I could wait forever and it might not ever happen. He definitely got my appetite wet and the more I thought about what could be done with this franchise, the more excited I got, end quote. Now, sadly, after this movie, as of, as of recording, which is 2016, Samuel Bear is not directed another feature film um he's just done a my chemical romance uh thing he did a couple of short films afterwards he hasn't done another feature since this movie i haven't read interviews with him i don't know if that's because he can't get the work or if because he's just not interested after this what it is but clearly not didn't work out how he hoped to for his career whether it's from his own perspective or you know people offering him jobs um so that's a shame um now you might be asking did they get Wes craven's blessing with this did they get anything from him you know did they go to him like the previous films and ask for him to write or whatever uh no <laughs> according to an interview with ign craven told them yep that didn't happen quote yes it does hurt it does because it's such an important film for me that unfortunately when i signed the original contract in 1984 i gave up all rights to it and so there's nothing i can do about it i was much happier with last house on the left where i could kind of shepherd it towards production and we found a really wonderful director End quote. Of course, talking about the remake for uh, Last House on the left. Um, so yeah, that's a, you know, nothing from Wes Craven. Dragging in a director who seemingly just didn't want to have anything to do with any of these remakes. <laughs> do you want to do this? No. Do you want to do that? No. It's, it, <laughs> do you want to do that one? How about no. this one twice? Nope. <laughs> Interesting, he says, though, Michael Bay was talking about the business and why this was a good movie to make, you know. It, like, seems to be money orientated mm -hmm. in terms of look it's a good time to do this in your career and here's why it can help you out and blah 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 anyway that's some backing on on what was made so it stars Rooney Mara um as Nancy we have Katie Cassidy as Chris Fowles we've got Thomas Decker as Jesse uh we have Kellen as Dean we have Clancy Brown as Alan Smith Connie Britton as uh, Gwen Holbrook who's the mother of Nancy um is there anyone else important I think they're mostly important people then we have, of course, the big thing, the big hullabaloo, as it was at the time, which was recasting Freddy Krueger. What? Who yes. was Freddy? So Robert Englund uh, is obviously synonymous with the role, in the same way Doug Bradley was synonymous with Pinhead. The idea of recasting those actors, where the role really is just them. Like, there's no mask to hide behind, like Michael Myers or Freddy, sorry, or Jason, um, was unthinkable to most fans they were anti this remake partly because it's Platinum Dunes but partly because it was a remake but mostly because how can you recast Robert Englund and he was I don't think ever in the picture to to be the star in this so they got and eventually Jackie Earl Haley who's known for Watchmen he's known for I'm trying to remember the name of that other film 
Um, what's it called? Yeah, Little Children, uh, Bad News Bears. Um, and he's in the new TV show, Preacher, which I haven't actually seen yet. That's going to be good. Um, now, a lot of people, a lot of rumors were that he was cast because of Little Children, where he plays a pedophile in that. That's not true. Apparently, he was cast because of his uh, screen tests for Watchmen, where he plays Rorschach, which I can totally get, because he plays like this anti dark anti-hero and mm-hmm. um, who's quite menacing and violent do you remember when this was going on do you remember when this casting was happening do you remember when people were upset because they're gonna um, no, no more robert england yeah i hear i sort of remember hearing bits and pieces of, about it but uh i didn't really pay much attention to it at the time to be honest because mm-hmm. um these films weren't really on my radar i guess yeah that's fair enough just um, that's why i'm interested if it was because Obviously, I'm heavily involved with the horror world, so to me, it was, it was all anyone was talking about, but mm-hmm. I'm interested with the public. Did anyone even notice? Did anyone even care? Did the general public who... This is really, you know, as much aimed at the general public as the fans, for sure, mm-hmm. if not more so. Did they care that it wasn't Rob England? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it probably just went in one ear and out the other, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um so I remember hearing that it cast him. I was both excited and appalled. I remember being really upset because, again, I was... Yeah, I agreed, even though I hated what had happened to Freddy in my new films, I couldn't imagine Freddy played by anybody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't see how they could ever get around that. Um, and I didn't envy him that problem. Yep. That said, I admire Jackie Earl Haley a lot as an actor. I think he's a superb actor. So I was kind of excited. Well, at least they have some good pedigree. Um, I was worried about his stature because he's a very short man. Yeah. Um, so Alex, now coming to these films as someone who's seen all the nightmares, mm-hmm. how were you as someone else stepping into Freddy Krueger's shoes? Um... I thought I was going to be more okay with it than I turned out to be. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way I could put it. I I thought that I felt ready to see a sort of refreshed and revived version of the story, uh, which included Freddy himself, but uh, I didn't feel that way when i saw it okay um i don't know if you want me to elaborate on that now or as we get into no, it No, okay that's a good little tease yeah. we'll go into the details then so let's talk about the story shall we before we like to like recap the story and then we'll get into the meat of it all um it's alarmingly similar in many ways to the original and then deviates in some other ways mm-hmm. um we uh open with more of it like a tv show opening which was kind of interesting and then we quickly it's got a different mood to it more yeah. of a thriller mood to it very contemporary you mentioned the walking dead and i was thinking yeah. the same thing um and then we move to springwood diner uh we have nancy's there working as a as a as a waitress we have a dude called uh, dean um who is friends with a girl called chris now chris is clearly playing tina but they yeah. call her chris on this for some reason rather than tina not sure on why um then we have quinton who's sort of the Johnny Depp character, I guess, who's in love with Nancy, uh, but he's not going out with her. Um, and then we have Jesse, who's definitely the Rod character, the, the sort of asshole leather sort of jock. Who um, I recognized from his childhood role in Village of the Damned. You're just a crazy person. I don't know how you're getting these weird, obscure... Uh, you're, you're insane. Uh, you, everyone else might know him from Sarah O'Connor Chronicles as John O'Connor. Village of the Damned. Probably Village of the Damned. Yeah. So you know, doesn't look anything like he did as a kid. You show me the pictures. Oh, you're a weird man. Um, <laughs> he plays Chris's actual boyfriend. But then anyway, Chris turns up to 
um, see how Dean's doing. He's been having some nightmares. He dreams of Freddy. He gets killed immediately in this opening scene in front of everybody. They cut to a funeral. People are already talking about things happening in their dreams mm -hmm. and an acceptance of that. It's very quick kind of acceptance to it all. Um, and then we move... I don't really want to go into scene by scene. Basically... It's the same plot as the first film. Yeah. Uh, they start to uncover more information about what was going on, only there's a weird bent to it. And the, the twist to it is that they realized that they, they were the kids that Freddy was interfering with. He's no longer a child murderer, or at least that's not explicitly said. Instead, he's a child interferer, I guess, and it's definitely into molestation in this film, mm -hmm. not killing. Yeah. Um, and eventually it becomes clear from that the parents... Uh, burnt him exactly as they did in all the original films only slightly by accident we see a flashback in this one they seem to throw the canister of fuel in to get him to come out of the building uh, but then it blows up something in the building and burns him up um, the kids then obviously blame their parents but their parents say they were just trying to protect them from their memories because they didn't want to remember that they all went to the same school together a preschool freddie was a the gardener there and he would take them down to what he called his secret cave um, and would do who knows what um, and they would come home and the parents will realize there's something wrong with their children and would find marks on them as well so yeah eventually threw the law into their own hands because freddie went on the run straight away um so yeah the kids blame their parents for covering this up they realize that the parents never found any proof of the secret cave or any of the things that freddie had apparently done so they believe that he's actually innocent and we have a very big twist uh, for the Nightmare on Elf Street series, which is this idea that Freddy was wrongfully accused and murdered and essentially is a vengeful ghost um, now in, in their dreams, picking them off because of that. Mm -hmm. They follow the clues. They know that um, Nancy uh, finds a photo of all of them back at the preschool photo, yep. and all of the other kids who are also at the, at the preschool. And then checking them out online discovers that everyone has died um, in their sleep. Who, who was part of that class. She finds a video blog from a guy who is played by... What's his name? He actually is uncredited, but where is... Yeah, Marcus Yearn, who played by Aaron Yu, who is also one of the leads in the Friday 13th remake from Platinum Dunes. Um, and he mentions the preschool and he mentions that he knows Freddy wants him to go down into the basement and find something. So they think... Freddy's been wrongfully accused, vengeful ghosts, more of a spooky story than a slasher maybe. Mm -hmm. We want to go and find whatever it is to set his soul to rest. They trace down the, the preschool. I kind of missed how they did that, to be honest. I don't know if it was from Aaron News video. Um, I know they had searched for it in a library, but they couldn't find anything along the way. Yeah, she had got the name from her dream. Yeah, but then they looked it up and he said, I can't find any records of this school. Yeah. So I feel like it was, was from this was video bit, blog or yeah, something. Yeah, because there was a bit where it was mentioned being on the outskirts of yeah, town. Springwood. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they go there, they go down, they find his secret cave, they realize, oh no, they were wrong, the parents were right, Freddie was actually molesting them, they find a box full of Polaroids of things he's done to Nancy. Uh, by this point, by the way, only Nancy and her uh, sort of boyfriend, I guess, Jesse, is left. Um, sorry, not Jesse, um, Quinton. Quentin, uh, just Quentin and Nancy are left. Um, and then they realize Freddy brought them there to remember everything that had happened to them. Um, and then Freddy, when they eventually fall asleep and they, they've been sleep deprived for a long time now, 
Um, Freddy tells Nancy that he's been keeping her awake long enough so that when she does eventually sleep, she'll be asleep for a long time so he can have his way with her, essentially. Um, they realize the same thing as in the first film. They can bring him back into real life by holding on to him the moment they wake up. She does that, bring him into real life, kill him pretty quickly. Um, well, they actually, they just kind of hack his head off, sort of. It's sort of like it's severed, doesn't it? Yeah, she goes for the... Cuts his, cuts his arm off mm-hmm. and then just a big slice across the neck, I think. Yep. And it's sort of like half severed. Yep. Um, and then they set fire to, to the basement. They, yeah. Again, um, she goes home, similar sort of happy ending with her mother. Um, only Freddy's in the reflection of the mirror, grabs her mother by putting his claws through her eyeballs and drags her into the mirror and cuts her in credits. We're a little song about dream, dream, dream playing dream warriors uh the one thing i did miss sexy sorry from is that they introduce the idea of micro naps which helps with some yeah. quick scares throughout the movie uh which is they look up insomnia and realize if you've been awake i have it written down somewhere so we'll get to 72 it. hours 72 hours is it yeah then you start taking micro naps so it means freddie can kind of attack them at any time um, mm-hmm. a little bit more that's the basic idea yep of what happens so alex well done you were kind of excited about this one. I like how you congratulate me every time I give everyone one of these stories. Well done. <laughs> I appreciate your support. I really um, You were kind of excited about this one. You were kind yeah. of looking forward to a refresh. You said you wanted something more serious. You said you wanted something more like a thriller. And mm-hmm. you said you wanted to get a bit more of Freddy's backstory. Yep. You definitely get all three of those things mm-hmm. with this film. It is 100% more serious than yep. any of them, I would say. Um, oh yeah hands down it is definitely more of a thriller and mm-hmm. you definitely get more of his background how are you feeling as we look I mean don't give everything away yet because I don't know I have no clue you're very quiet watching this film yeah so I have no clue what your feelings are but from the off when we start we're in the diner we get our set up how are you going with this movie um, to be honest I really liked I really liked the opening uh, I felt the f- opening credits were slightly too long uh, like I told you at the time felt a bit kind of like the opening of The Walking Dead Nice images, cool kind of eerie, sort of thrillery setup, but just slightly too long in my book. But then those in the, the initial opening scene uh, in the diner, leading up to the first kill, and then the final, uh, and then finally reaching the Nightmare on Elm Street title, I really, really liked. I thought it looked. It's clearly like the production on this is nothing like any of the others like it's so far above um so it just looked slick it looked beautiful um and i loved that opening scene i loved the first nightmare and the first kind of reveal of freddy being just the uh, iconic sort of opening of the glove and the sound of the the blades um without actually seeing him yet or even hearing him um so yeah from the off good first impressions i had yeah really good first impressions yeah i'm kind of the same i I felt like the opening credits i've only seen this movie once just stipulate back into six years ago now in 2010 so i couldn't remember much about it other than my overall impressions um i did the opening sequence yeah it's a little long but i was intrigued i was oh it's sophisticated it's Mm -hmm. kind of cool and different vibe to things and i'm totally ready for a different vibe to these 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 movies the music was neither a pop song or you know i'm a horror movie it was more oh creepy things might be happening Mm -hmm. kind of feeling um and then you get the springwood diner that opening shot's great 
like yeah. the neons wonderful there's all they're using red and green lights a lot in this movie uh, particularly for the dreams but in a nice subtle way um and i'll lead well i'll lead guy for that scene dean who's goes into a dream very early on and follows a waitress through the kitchen and her pig heads everywhere and yeah we both were like this looks beautiful it yeah. looks so good and it's what i like it's what frustrates me it's what i like about the platinum dune films is this cost 35 million which was the most it looks it's not even that it looks better than freddy versus jason because that's a very slick movie it's just the style of these movies is is this kind of indie glossy they yeah, have a griminess yeah. to them still which yeah. i really like but they're also gorgeous mm-hmm. um it's a beautiful look yeah, and I've argued in some Platinum Dunes films too beautiful for the source material because it kind of adds a different layer to the fear yeah. that is counterproductive. Um, but I, I just, I started, so I was like, wow, okay, awesome. I'm going to love this movie. This is mm-hmm. great. I like the tension. I like the look of it. Um, I like, yeah, when Freddy first comes out and you see his gloves, like you say, and you hear the noise of it. Um, and then you enter the next scene immediately with uh nancy serving him everyone's in this diner like Mm. all of our key characters are in this diner yeah um and chris who's playing yeah tina essentially comes in to meet dean and talk to him um and she's again like an arm one they're faking it she's ostensibly our lead we think she's our lead character and only once she dies do we pass over to nancy fully and it, I went from right. I have written down here. Start so well, love it immediately, and then afterwards I wrote, I got bored very quickly. <laughs> There's no soul, um, and that scene turned around so quickly for me. And I remember I turned to you and I said, "Why is there no music in this diner? Why yeah, is there not right. a jukebox playing?" <coughs> so after that, I after the first scene where I was, this scene would work just brilliantly if it was edited a little bit quicker, mm-hmm. and you had some music popping along in the background. Um, after that, I noticed how long it was until we had a song track in this film. Interesting. And I wrote it down. So let's play the game of waiting <laughs> until the first song is played in this film that isn't part of the score. Okay. Because okay? I have a theory with this film where all my problems kind of come from it, um, which I'll get into near the end. Interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. So then we move into Dean getting killed. The titles come up, like you say. Um, and then they're all at a funeral. And they, they play the classic theme. Yeah, yeah they play the classic theme. Great. Only briefly, though, there. I don't Very know, briefly. They don't return to it in yeah. the film that I noticed. And I was trying to pay attention. I may have missed it at some point. It's definitely a new piece of uh, score. So the score was written by... I don't know. Um, the people who wrote this, though, we have Wesley Strick, who has previously written the Doom movie... <laughs> Um, and that's about the only thing Wolf he wrote. Remember that film? Nope. Uh, Cape Fear he wrote. And Arachnophobia. There you go. Um, and then we had Eric Heisserer, who wrote The Thing remake, Final Destination 5. Oh, uh, but he wrote them just after this. And he also wrote the Van Helsing, the new Van Helsing, sorry, that's coming up. Oh, and the Lights Out movie that's just come out that people like. Um, do we have anyone else? Oh, the... One that won that uh, competition. Yeah, yeah. So they're the two writers of this movie, which makes perfect sense <laughs> now that I've known that. It really does from seeing a lot of their <laughs> films. Um, so we move to the funeral. They're p- these teenagers are piecing things together very, very quickly. I think it's... Um, which one is it? It's J- Jesse. I think Chris's boyfriend who comes over 
and there's immediately like yeah weird stuff is happening yeah people are you know people are dying in their dreams or whatever like we shouldn't be going to sleep mm-hmm. um which is just uh, i don't know i mean i said before i get bored of people having to learn all the rules but at the same time <laughs> this is a new start to the franchise uh i didn't get how they made the leap how so they make these leaps no it was yeah. very unbelievable to me mm-hmm. how they just seem to it seems it feels like they've already seen the movies <laughs> so they know oh yeah. this must be a freddy kill that's yeah. how it felt to me yeah um yeah were you getting on board with these new characters that we got um not right away not necessarily right away um you know being familiar with the first one i kind of i kind of immediately in that diner scene attached them all to their counterpart roles yeah um so i kind of went along with them on that basis to begin with um yeah and that was it really Okay, so you just basically, I know these characters, I know Nancy, I know mm-hmm. Tina, essentially. It was kind of like, okay, I know who to sort of follow and mm-hmm. who I'm going to end up investing in more, so. Yeah, well, that's the thing, that you kind of, as a as a viewer of, you know, it's hard to judge this as a brand new viewer, um, but as someone who's seen the films before, you're waiting to see, are they going to subvert our expectations mm-hmm. or anything? Is Tina actually going to end up the lead maybe in this one? Yeah. You know, things like that. Um. So we get Chris sees a little girl at the funeral with bloody claw marks on her chest, which uh, she then realizes is herself because at the funeral there's a picture of herself with Dean um, as kids, but she doesn't remember ever knowing Dean before high school. Um, and then we get so they all just split up then. So there's no in the original they all like hang out in the same mm-hmm. house and there's sort of a party atmosphere and they're having sex and stuff. None of that. Everyone's moping around in their own houses yeah. in these films. In this film. Um, but we do immediately get uh, a couple of call-outs. So we get a call-out straight away of the siege of, sorry, of Freddy pushing through the wall, looking down at Nancy. Yeah. Now, this was obviously done this time around with CGI. Yeah. And full CGI. Full CGI. And it didn't, it didn't quite have the same charm. I don't understand. <laughs> Didn't work. I don't understand when this movie, when the first movie had one and eight, one million eight hundred, not including inflation, blah blah blah. But this one's thirty-five million. Why couldn't you just do the same effect they did the first time? Why can't mm-hmm. you use that kind of latexy wall or whatever it was they did? Yeah. This looked horrible. This that was my really first bad. real stinger of. Oh, that is just so bad. Mm-hmm. Why would you ever do that? I don't understand. Um, so yeah, that was the first real black mark for me. Yeah, me too. Because it was funny. Because it, it starts with a slight sort of rippling on the wall. So, you know, I knew I was coming at that point and, and was starting to be like, oh, cool. Like, this is such a iconic moment from the first one. Sure. Like, I, I appreciate remakes that that sort of hark back to their, their originals. Um, but then the moment it just sort of expanded out and it became CGI, it was just, it was wrong. It didn't look very good at all. Yeah, it's disappointing. Um, well, okay, so we get... Um, before we get to actually any more, like, so they have some cool ideas for how they show the dreams changing that I actually liked. They show the lighting changes um, 
and they show they show early on water dripping upwards on a glass like these little practical things that mm -hmm. i kind of enjoyed because i thought they were nice ways to show you moving into a dream sequence without being yeah. too cheesy um little details which are cool mm -hmm. but we see freddie a lot in this movie they're not shy about freddie they're not shy about his face they start off just showing his claw but even when dean kills himself you see Freddy's face looking at him and talking to him very clearly before the first title secret, title credit comes true, out. Yeah. Um, he's now very purposefully they tried to do this way more realistically mm -hmm. um, so that he looked more like a burn victim. Yep. Um, I know I have here in my notes Wes Craven originally wanted part of Freddy's skull to be visible through the head as well as pus to be seeping out of sores. He wanted it to look more like a burn victim in the first film. It was his makeup artist David B. Miller who dissuaded him of this notion in 1984 because a such thing was just too impractical. Um, but so in this film, they went with it properly, whether it's Wes Craven liked it or not. I tried to find interviews with Craven to see his opinion on this movie. I couldn't find any, sadly. I'm sure they're out there. Maybe we'll get one in time for a yeah, yeah. full series retrospective next time. Um, but it's definitely, you know, way more realistic. How did you feel, though, about that look? I know you kind of liked the look in part two, was it? Where it was more like this in a weird way, smoothed over a bit more? It's a bit more smoothed, smoothed over, yeah, in part two. But the thing that they... I, the thing, particularly with one and two in, in the first half of two, what worked in those, I guess, for whatever deficiencies they had in the makeup to, because it couldn't look like a real burned victim, they cleverly hid in shadow. Yeah. Um, so you get bits of light hitting it and that's what made it come alive for me and look really sinister. So when I saw this, yeah, the immediate reaction was like, okay, the intent. I can I can completely understand the intent. They want to make it look more realistic. Um, but I just wasn't sure about it. It just didn't. It didn't. It, <laughs> You're struggling, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it just didn't have the impact on me that I thought it would. Mm hmm. Um, and then you didn't find it scary or did, you just I were struggling to connect with a new I, Freddy or I was a bit of both I didn't find it scary um, and I was struggling to connect and then uh, particularly for the first chunk of the film I just didn't feel like the voice matched mm. interesting uh, so he speaks so we should like stipulate if you haven't watched this for whatever reason um he plays it a lot more. I mean, he never, he's never, uh, he, he laughs a few times, but it's always from a very somber place. Mm. He doesn't smile at any point. His mouth seems kind of rigidly burnt into place. So he cannot, he can't move it very much. Mm -hmm. So he speaks a little bit like he's mm. unable to speak properly. And it's definitely seems, well, actually we'll get into this later, which may have been on purpose, but it definitely seems more the kind of thing that was in vogue at that point with what, you know, uh, what's going on with the Dark Knight, with Joker, mm -hmm. things like that. These kind of like interesting, weird ways to change your voice. Yep. Rather than a characterful way to change your voice. Um, but I think it's definitely going for more sinister, you know, more kind of creepy. There's a lot more sexuality, obviously, to his character in this one. Yeah. Um, I still didn't feel all of that, though. Okay. 
Okay. Um, yeah, we'll, I don't know. We'll, we can get into it more in a bit if you want to keep moving. They do an interesting thing where um, I know they use some green screen on one side of his cheek. Mm-hmm. So he's basically rotted out constantly on one side um, of his face, which I found interesting. I'm kind of always distractedly looking at it as well. To yeah, see if the CGI yeah. breaks on that at any point. I mean, did you like it overall? It was interesting because like I say, the first time I saw it, no. Like the first time I saw yeah. it, I liked it in terms of it's the most sophisticated makeup ever done on a Freddy for sure Mm -hmm. like i think it's expertly made and expertly designed it's way creepier in terms of it's real yeah but it's not freddy like it doesn't look like freddy his nose is bent out in a weird way it's not robert england's face and the eyes are very feline very feline which i find kind of distracting but that's how they really go when they burn you know um so it's weird i remember the first time it really bothered me and this one this time did i find it scary no the feline eyes still I find kind of too, I don't know, there's something almost cute about them. Mm-hmm. But I did find his performance way creepier this time. Like I have to say, I found him sinister and loathsome is a word I wrote down a few times. Yeah. Um, particularly from the, what they're doing with his character, which we will get into in a minute. Um, so it definitely affected me more this time than the mm-hmm. first time. And that may just be because this time, I, I, you know, I know how I felt last time. I'm able to let go more and I'm happier yeah. to be cool. Let's just see something different and a new type of Freddy. Um, his stature still bothers me. He's mm-hmm. very short, um, and I don't find him imposing. Yeah. Um, Robert Englund wasn't the tallest of people, but he had you know, a certain stature standing in a doorway. Whereas, yeah, there was like a real presence about him, I think. Yeah, whereas Jackie, he's very short, so mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of get that from him. You get a creepiness, though, in a different way, I guess, and they're kind of short, like almost the same height as the children. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is interesting. Um. But yeah, I was, I, was, I was more along for the ride for his face on this one. Mm-hmm. It was just interesting they show it so much. I would not have shown it so much. I liked just keep him in the dark for at least half the movie I would have enjoyed. But instead, they seem very proud of their work and they're just showing him right yeah, off. Yeah, I think that, that would have had a bigger impact on me if, if they had revealed it more slowly and kept him in shadow a bit more. Mm-hmm. So that you're... I like that idea of you know, you're just getting bits of light hitting certain parts of his face. Like imagine a yeah. bit where you're just hitting that bit where there's the hole in his cheek. Like that would have been so cool. Um, yeah. I think that would have had a big, big difference, played a big difference uh, on me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so I've written down, so then Chris's mom leaves. She's now hostess. Chris has just found, she's been looking for photos of herself with Dean and the others. And she finds a box in the attic where all the photos have been... Uh, sorry, she found a the regular photo album. All the photos were taken out. She asked her mum where they are. She says, I don't know. She goes up into the attic and finds a box of them all and found, finds a little dress uh, that she saw the little girl in at the funeral with the claw marks across it and realizes it's her own dress. Um, then her mum goes away because she's an air hostess and you've got to get parents out of the picture in these movies mm-hmm. as much as you can. I have a little note here. We're 25 minutes in, in case you're wondering. Still no original music <laughs> or any type of music. Um, and I've written down no music, no fun. Uh, no one's having fun yet in this movie. I'm waiting no. for those two things. Someone to have fun at some point mm-hmm. uh, other than Freddy. But I'm not even convinced he's having fun in this movie. No, um, and some, yeah, I'm waiting for some music. Um, Jesse and Chris realize that they're having the same dream. Freddy kills a dog. What's that about? Wasn't doing anything. That's right. Did he go in the dog's dream? I don't know. Or was that just part of her dream? I don't know. I'm Who's, confused with yeah, that. Part of her dream. Um, and then we get an iconic kill recreated, essentially, mm-hmm. which is Chris 
aka Nancy. She gets the same kill as Nancy. You mean Tina. Um, sorry, Tina. Thank you. That's because I've written this down wrong. Uh, you get Chris, aka Tina, um, who has been our lead up until this point. Played. I actually really like her. Katie Cassidy. She's one of those few girls for me who's really pretty, but also has something real to her mm-hmm. that I enjoy. She's not just a pretty face, you know. Mm-hmm. She's got some gravity to her performance. Um, and we'll definitely get into this in a minute, but I prefer her to Nancy. Um, but anyway, interesting. You have the same kill that happens to Tina. Freddie comes into her dream. They play it a little differently because they know we're expecting it. They get her to like go to sleep, then wake up, then go to the bathroom, then come back, and then sit down. Then she smiles. You know she's a goner as soon as she smiles because if you smile in a horror film, you're a goner. Mm-hmm. Freddie's lying there in bed, does the whole you can't see him. Her boyfriend wakes up and sees her spinning through the air, crawling up the walls, blood going everywhere. How is this revisiting it? Were you, were you happy with what they're doing with it this time? This is the third time you've um, seen this scene, essentially. I still like the original the best. I think that still looks the coolest. Um, this one, it was sort of like, we're going to recreate it, but we're just going to up the ante just a little bit. So they had her like, there was a lot more kind of throws. Yeah, she's been flipped around. Yeah, against the wall and being flipped. And, you know, I liked, yeah, the original is still the best one for me. But the fact that she's just kind of, drags up and she's stuck in that corner um yeah yeah so yeah. so yeah i prefer this one to the new nightmare one actually i think mm-hmm. there's a violence to this one that's quite unnerving yeah um because i wasn't aware even of a stunt woman of how you do some of these things it was pretty nasty uh but yeah there's still something to that first one i don't know if it's just because it's the first time i saw it but I think there's just something to the camera working that first time and mm-hmm. just a prolonged amount of time. You're not really cutting. You're just watching it happen. And yeah. there's a lot of blood in that first one. Yeah. Here, they're more realistic. They're very concerned with being realistic in this mm-hmm. movie to the point where one kid later goes to take an adrenaline shot. They're going through hell with this nightmare dream you know, creature. And uh, Nancy turns to him to go, you don't even know what's in that. You shouldn't be taking that. That's how concerned they are with realism in this film. They have realistic reactions of, you shouldn't be taking adrenaline shots. And he's like, I think this is the least of my problems right now. And I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I really yeah. do. Um, yeah, but we get that kill. Her boyfriend, Jesse, goes on the run again. We've seen all this before. Can they make it interesting? Again, it's hard to judge this as a new viewer. I mm-hmm. don't know how interesting this is as a new viewer. But this kid who you know from... Uh, Village, Village of, of the, the Damned. Damned and I know from Zero Connor Chronicles and Kaboom um, I just I have a dislike for this kid I don't find him charismatic at all unlike the original Rod who was a lot of fun mm-hmm. this guy I'm just you know you're a waste of space you can you, yeah. can, be, you can be killed as soon as I mean I was, I was first distracted by his intense kind of fake looking tan uh, in the yes. funeral scene I was distracted by his fringe uh that didn't help either. And then he, I don't know, there was just a kind of cockiness about his performance. He He's <laughs> hes also the dude who like has all this information suddenly. And I don't know how. From yeah, that, yeah. he runs to Nancy. So in the original one, Rod's so confused and scared. And he yeah. runs to Nancy, confused and scared. In this one, he runs to Nancy and tells her, if you die in your dreams, you die for real. And yeah. spells out what's going on to her and then runs off and gets captured by the police. And it's another one of the things of like, I don't understand where you're getting any of this information from. I don't, I just don't understand that you're, yeah. you're not reacting realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a strange note here that I thought the mums for Nancy and Chris were superbly cast. They both looked genuinely like their daughters. Yep. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was quite impressed with that. Um, 
I don't like. There's a lot of Freddy jump scares here with ed, done with editing. You know, like blurred movements suddenly of his head turning or mm-hmm. jump cuts to him like being closer than he was. Yeah, which I wasn't really enjoying. Um, I thought they were a little bit tacky for a film of this sort of classy production style. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get to. Yeah, then we, I mean, we're really, we're moving through this pretty quickly, I'll be honest. But here's the thing with this movie, if I'm allowed to get into some spoiler territory of how I'm feeling about it, this movie's a real drag. It's a real drag, I found. I find it a real drag because, again, no one's having any fun in this movie. Yeah. Um, no one's, there's no real propulsion with it. The, the point mm-hmm. where that kid takes that adrenaline shot that I said, I'm just thinking, please, can you give that to the movie makers as well because yeah, I feel yeah. this whole movie needs an adrenaline shot um it's kind of like they overcommitted on we're going to be serious about this yeah and thus and thus lost the balance of well no they're still young people you can still show them having fun uh but you can still give the weight and seriousness to Freddy and what, yeah. how it plays out. Like, well, then yeah. it's more effective. This is the problem. Sorry, we're really getting to what I'm gonna, what I want to talk about at the end. But this is the problem is, and I say this with all the Platinum Tunes films, they look beautiful and they have no soul. Mm-hmm. And the real problem with that is they treat them all way too seriously. And I love a serious horror film. I love serious consequence. I don't want, like we've established before in the Nightmare films, I don't like it when they goof around. Yeah, yeah. But teenagers are having fun normally. And... We need to be having fun for the scary things to mean more. Yeah. Um, and they have to be reacting realistically as well, which is they would take the piss out of each other about stuff. Mm-hmm. And in this film, they're so concerned. This is the, I think this is the worst, not Platinum Dunes film, not the worst Platinum Dunes film necessarily, but the worst violator of that in terms of they're taking themselves so po-faced and so dour throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. That it just sucks any joy and the fear is just kind of, it's hard to be scared when you're meant to be scared because you're already in a dour place. Yeah, yeah. And I put a lot of blame, I mean the script isn't great, don't get me wrong. I don't think the cast is necessarily great, um, even though we have a lot of names we probably know from other places. I put a lot of blame on the score. I think the score is incredibly drab. I think Mm -hmm. it's really drab. I think it pulls you down and it's always the same in every single scene. Yeah, yeah. And we're still at the point with no music. Uh, we're 40 minutes, minutes in, I think we were at this Jesus. point. And there was no music going on. Um, so we have Jesse then facing down Freddy. Um, and, he's, and I wrote down this, these lines. Uh, he says, oh God. Freddy says, no, just me. This is, these are his actual lines from the movie, which you pointed out. It's sort of a reference to the first film mm-hmm. where Freddy's very first line is, this is God. Yeah. And he pulls up his hand. Now, if you're talking about just two sentences versus one sentence, not neither great script writing, how much better is this is God yeah. and your, your enemy bringing up his claw to, oh God, and no, just me in the new <laughs> one. I'm like, how? It's awful. Like, that's yeah. really bad script writing. Um, but then we do get, so we get these micronabs. Now, this is something new for the mm. whole series. We haven't had micronabs before. Do you like these? Um, I felt like there were elements of it in the previous ones, but it wasn't spelled out, and it and it occurred in a way that would always just blur that line for you. So there was always 
a split second in the previous films to think, wait a minute, is it a dream or isn't it a dream? Mm-hmm. Which I suppose, which is exactly what the micro-naps were as yeah. well. Yeah, that's true. You know. That's true. I do... But I mean, it helped in the sense... I mean, it provided a bit more pacing as far as having like quick scares for me. Yeah. They're, they're little puncture marks in this one. Yeah. And I have to say, they're the bit I remembered from watching this last time. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, the scene when they're at the gas station. No, sorry, the pharmacy yeah. later on. And she's having these constant micronaps. And Freddie's kind of walking towards her. And you're cutting between the that boiler cool, room yeah. to him in the pharmacy. And it's synced up. And he's pushing things off the shelves as he's scratching his nails along. I fucking love that scene. Mm-hmm. The micronaps are one of my favorite, probably my favorite thing in this yeah. entire movie. I think they're a great idea and there's loads of fun things you could do with them. And they only begin to sort of scratch the surface, I think, of what you could have done with them. Mm-hmm. That scene's definitely, that's my probably my favorite sort of cool scare moment in yeah. terms of, it's not really scary, but it's really cool. Yeah, it, it looks, looks great. Um, okay, okay. I'm trying to keep the enthusiasm going and move <laughs> on with this. Um, <laughs> So then they move on. We have the bath scene, shot by shot. Shot by shot. Shot by shot. Only with less patience. With less patience. One little arm above the water and yep. that's it. Drops out. And then she walks out and she's in her bedroom and there's snow coming down. It's a light. It's nice mm-hmm. visuals with the snow coming down in her bedroom. Um, and then she's at the preschool. So she sees the preschool in her dream. That's right. Called Bad Ham. Bad Ham, yeah. I don't know if that's a reference to anything, but I don't know why you would call your preschool Bad, bad Ham. Bad Ham. Very strange. Um, and they find a photo of them all together with kids, and that's when that happens. Um, so she then goes home, yeah, sorry, and talks to the parents. And you get a whole flashback there about everything that happened that we talked about at the beginning of the movie. I'm uh, sorry, beginning of this podcast. Um but I, I just wanted to say, I kind of liked, I actually kind of liked this time seeing him in these flashbacks, um, Fred. Um, I like seeing him as the gardener. Yeah. I kind of like how they set all that stuff up. It felt like a proper film. Yeah. Um, and he felt just right where at this point in the movie, you could believe he's creepy or he is actually innocent. Yeah. And it's all misunderstood. They're, they're those Some of those bits were the, the, the bits that I enjoyed the most, actually. Um, for those reasons where it was still quite a blurred line of actually no he might be a decent man Mm. you know um yeah and i and i really enjoyed that alternative kind of view because in all the previous films whenever there were kind of flashbacks or um moments looking back at his past it always was a setup either to this is why he's sinister or evil or he here he is doing something bad, um, whereas this was like no like yeah it's we're gonna keep it it was just around the edges of everything yeah yeah I thought it was maturely handled actually um, and I think it gave gave him a chance he's way more of a interesting actor for me when you see him without the makeup as well mm-hmm. than Robert Englund. Um, he's way more you can read stuff into him. Robert Englund just looks creepy to me <laughs> with or without <laughs> his makeup. Yeah. Um, and then they, so they kind of have me back because then we get this bit. We get the water backwards on the swimming scene, which is showing again it's in the dream, harkening back to the beginning. Uh, Quentin then sees what happened to Freddie and how the parents accidentally blow him up and burn him. Love that bit. Yeah, it was really I think well it was maybe my favorite bit. Your favorite bit? Yeah. Um, again, for the reason of like... 
an, an alternate portrait of, of Freddy from what we've seen before um, and actually seeing him seeing him in fear for his life because of people taking this sort of vigilante justice. Yeah, yeah. and he's running and looking panicked. Yeah, and- looking panicked. And at this point, they've thrown up the possibility that maybe he wasn't guilty. Maybe the kids made it up. Yeah. Um, and so that was great. And it was great for that backstory to be uncovered in one of the children's dreams. Yeah. Which I really yeah, liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that bit was awesome. Yes, I mean, yeah, they're, they're getting me back here a little bit. And then we get Nancy finding a video blog from Aaron Yu, as we mentioned earlier. And I really love that. It's a fun idea. And you get the creepiness of him doing a video blog and then starting to fall asleep. And you watch him on the video blog and then sudden sort of scare. It's a bit sort of found footage. Yeah, bits of found about, footage coming yeah. out. They could, there's more they could have done with his video blog, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I love that little pocket and I love Aaron Yu. He's a fun guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you get the actual line from Quinton of you killed an innocent man our stories our lives we got him killed so they blame themselves for getting mm-hmm. Freddie killed and I I remember the first time I saw this film I was kind of outraged I think at the time because like you can't do this you can't make him innocent that's ridiculous watching it this time I knew they backtrack on this I knew he doesn't end up innocent and I was thinking you know what I think I would have loved that. I think if they made him innocent, it would have made this whole thing make sense to me because yeah. you want Freddy to be an icon. You want him to be like Jason. You want him to be like Michael Myers. You want him to have... I mean, Michael Myers, he has, he's kind of in between because he doesn't have sympathetic qualities, but he doesn't do quite as atrocious things as some people. But Jason's definitely sympathetic. And I want yeah. that you know, from, from Freddy, um, particularly since we've already had the other Freddy. I'm like, if you're doing a new one, that could be interesting. The problem with that, though, is then he is a vengeful spirit. And once he has killed off the people he's got to kill off, why would he keep killing? Because he yeah. doesn't get fun out of that. Um, so you'd have to kind of find a way to get around that, which is definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. But I like this grown-up idea of we can have a sympathetic Freddy and we can be behind him then killing people in sequels. Absolutely. Like this was the first time where in that kind of setup and that suggestion where I was like, I'm on his side on this one. Mm. Like I feel sorry for him. Um even knowing that it's like you said, they're probably going to backtrack and, and it's, it's going to be as it always is. There was a part of me that was like, cool. I hope they had play the balls down to go this, yeah, yeah. Play it down this line. Yeah. yeah I, I really would have respected them massively. They would have been torn apart. I'm sure like yeah. the fans would have killed them for doing it. I understand why they didn't, but I would have enjoyed that immensely to mm-hmm. be honest, to have that side and have a Freddy we can get behind. Cause as we keep saying, it's like, how can you, be behind Freddy and more than ever in this film but that's one of my last points that I'll make um, and then we go straight from that and we have Nancy having uh, sorry yeah Nancy having the crisp body bag sequence which is the same she has with Tina when they just kind of shoehorn it in here mm-hmm. uh, she's walking down a corridor she has a micro nap she sees a friend in the body bag being dragged off and then a little twist on it and the image of of uh, what's, her, what's her name Chris yeah Chris screaming inside the body bags yeah. really cool yeah um and I'm not, like, they've lost me enough by now that I'm kind of finding it all too sleepy and I know what my problems are with the movie. But there's a sequence of events here. I'm like, this is a cool film. There's just some essential problems with it. Um, but then we get to, hey, guess what? The first song in the movie. We're at one How hour, many? five minutes in. Oh, my God. The first song. Guess where it is? It's in my favorite scene, the fucking pharmacy. <laughs> and it's when that whole right. thing's happening with Freddie knocking down stuff. And it's just playing quietly in the background. Now... I say the first song. This is the only song in the movie. <laughs> uh, there is one more, but it plays in the credits. 
Bloody hell. Um, so yeah, this is it. So enjoy background music because apparently no one else in Springwood does. And this is the only... So and the pharmacy weird. in the middle of the night is the only place you can hear music. Despite these fucking kids wearing headphones half the time. She's got a little headphones in a lot. Yep. No music playing at any point on those headphones, just, apparently. Just private music. Just man. dead air. Yeah. Just listening to dead yeah. air. <laughs> it, honestly, it feels like they just forgot to put a music track on this film. I'm not kidding. That's how oh, it feels man. to me. Um, Nancy gets scratched up from that. They take her to the hospital. Her mom comes. Evil nurses again. A theme, it seems, in the yep. Nightmare films. Much like uh, West Graham's New so Nightmare. Force their needles upon... Yeah, they want to make her go to sleep. But they do it right this time. Yeah. We moaned last time in New Nightmare because they, it was everything they did was illegal. This one, they get consent forms signed by the parents. <laughs> that, again, we may have moaned about it in the last one, but it's a movie. I understand. <laughs> this is how concerned this movie is with people reacting yeah. in uh, the most tediously <laughs> realistic ways. Yeah. Oh boy, um, but she's already escaped, so she's gone. Well played, well played. Didn't have to go through one of those bloody Quentin scenes. Quentin got his hands in the medicine cabinet. He did. He got that's where he gets his adrenaline shot from, um, and doesn't give it to the movie. Sadly, um, then they have a thrilling conversation in the car. I wrote down this conversation as well. You ready? Yep. Do you want to do this with me? You sure. you read the second lines, okay? So I'm going to be Nancy, and you're going to be Quentin. Talk to me so I won't fall asleep. Okay. What do you want to talk about? What's your favorite color? Blue. That's the kind of dialogue <laughs> you can expect in this film. Uh, but then they find the school and they find Freddy's room full of uh, some sort of makeshift knives. Did you like uh, that a gardener lives in the basement after the school? I don't really know how that would work with zoning or anything. Oh, yeah, because his actual bed and stuff was down there. Yeah, wasn't he, he sleeps down there. Yeah, that was a bit odd. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was fine. But you don't have a boiler room here. So he runs to the boiler room to die. Yeah. Is that just somewhere? I mean, does he know that place? I couldn't tell from the dream sequence if that's somewhere yeah, it was he hard ever to, goes to It was to hard normally. to tell. It felt like he... Because he has a secret cave here where he takes the kids. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like he ever goes to the boiler room. I feel it just happens to be where he dies. Yeah. Um, so that's where his spirit is or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's... I mean, how do you feel with the basement of a preschool replacing essentially the boardroom as his place of menace? Um, I mean, obviously it makes sense geographically with the children. Yeah. Um, and it ties into to that, that, you know, and again, creates that believable or ultra-realistic atmosphere of like, well, here's a place he can actually take one child away at a time and abuse them and um, and sort of get away with it. So it made sense. But I mean, there were images like that one in the pharmacy where you see him in the boiler room. Yeah. So it's... Mixing a little bit. There. Yeah, it was mixing. The, and so it was weird to kind of still have him with so attached to that. But it, I guess where he died maybe is more important than where he did inappropriate things. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. For him, anyway. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, other than the fact it makes absolutely no sense that a gardener would be sleeping in the basement of the preschool <laughs> and that they would let him have free reign to take kids down there in his private time and yeah. do things. Other than that, it's fine. It's more realistic again, but in a boring way. The mm -hmm. boiler room's definitely more evocative. Yeah. Um, 
and definitely more intimidating. I mean, they get down there and again, it's just a drab room and then they find the secret cave and it's another drab room, even drabber, obviously. Um, and then the kid sits down on the bed that clearly stuff had happened on and I felt, I just felt repulsed. I was just thinking like you would mm-hmm. want to jump off that bed immediately because you would trigger something in where you would know you had been interfered with on that bed. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't. He just quite happy sat there and flew through Polaroids of his friend being presumably molested. Yeah, the the Polaroid bit was was interesting. Very unsettling in that we were, every now and again, we'd catch a glimpse of what looked like him mm. uh, without his shirt on. Or her, her. He said the role of Nancy. Yeah. Yes, he did say that. But the first image you kind of see... Okay. Very much looks like... Looks like him, does it? Yeah, okay. without his shirt. Well, I, d- I don't know. It looks like you see an arm. You like see some flesh. flesh. And yeah. it's like very unsettling. Yeah, I mean, they went... You got to remind them for one thing. They went full out on this one of he's not a murderer, he's a molester, and we are going right down that horrible dark world. Mm-hmm. Here's his room, here's the bed, here are Polaroid pictures he took. Like, mm-hmm. It is... This is it's a dark, dark movie. It yeah. really is. And it's dealing with very heavy themes of all these kids have repressed their memories of the stuff that happened to them to the point where they don't even remember anything of this yeah. preschool whatsoever. And just parents trying to cover that up. And I respect that about the movie. I respect that it's actually tackling a problem we've always had of why would people be behind Freddy with the horrible things he's done? Mm-hmm. Why would people that he have so many fans? Why would kids want to dress up as him? Kids will not want to dress up as this version of Freddy. Yeah. There's no fucking way. Like, this is a true villain. Mm-hmm. A true villain. Whether that's good or bad for the franchise, it will be, like, the last thing we chat about. Yeah. Um, But I respect at this point how dark they're going with it. I just wish it was interesting. Yeah. The characters are so sleepy in this movie because they're all staying awake, and I appreciate that. But in the original, there's a freneticism to the sleepiness because they're just taking so much caffeine and mm-hmm. trying to stay awake and trying to get things done as quickly as possible. In this one, you just feel like them. You just feel yeah. like, yeah, I could go to sleep any minute because no one's saying anything interesting. There doesn't seem to be a plan. I don't even know what Freddy's plan yeah, that, is. Yeah, that's like a thing uh, you've mentioned a few times throughout the different podcasts was that in the first one, Nancy came up with a plan. She was very she proactive. She had a plan. And, and that was a point that I was focusing very much on this one. of just like, okay, well, what's their plan? Or what's this Nancy's plan? Mm. And it was this such this such it was such a sleepy, drawn-out process of like it's because it's an it's an investigation crime drama yeah really that's what it is with some horror elements running in. like this is more like the ring where they're trying to figure out what happened mm-hmm. what is the mystery behind freddie was he innocent why is he trying telling us to go to this place and that's fine but you can't write it the way they wrote it then you mm-hmm. know you have to have way more twists you got to have way more interesting characters and colorful characters that yeah. come into this uh, like the ring did even the american remake you know which is a somber film throughout no one's really having much fun in that film but it's captivating you know yeah. this is not it's just a bunch of sleepy people shuffling around and mm-hmm. occasionally you get some cool visuals um but yeah and, and then they bring freddie in uh there's some cool bloody hallway goop which again is a throwback most of these cool moments are throwbacks to things that happened in the original i would say this is one that's done better than the original yeah i like this one better um she's covered just in blood and the bit where she dives down and then comes up yeah she's covered that looked great yeah that looked really great um and then yeah the reveal of i had to keep you awake long enough that you'd go to sleep and and it gets very creepy he gets very sexual and he's kind of like yeah toying with her in her dress and stuff 
Um, but then they bring her back into real world and she says, you're in my world now, bitch. Yep. And cuts his head off. And you just, that seems inappropriate because if you're happy to do those dumb things that the old freddies did mm. you should be happy to do more dumb things yeah. that the old freddies did but you weren't um so yeah that just left a sour taste in my mouth frankly and that's the end of the movie other than a little twist um at the end of no he's still alive because why wouldn't he be mm-hmm. so i um just very quickly Another fact with this one is that Jackie Earl Haley's contract was for a total of three films. Rooney Mara's was for two. But six years later, um, they're not going to be returning. We'll talk about what is happening with the series right at the end. Very good. Podcast. Um, so, Alex, now I want your overall feelings on this movie. Mm-hmm. Unless you've got anything else in particular. I just kind of feel like we can talk for a while if you want, but just, just get into all the stuff you really yeah. felt about this movie and then let us know. At the end of that, if you recommend that people see A Nightmare on Elm Street, the okay. 2010 remake. Okay. So, yeah, I, I was really excited and looking forward to this because I knew it was a fresh sort of take on on uh, on the series for the franchise. And, and I felt that's what the franchise needed. I loved I love Wes Craven's new nightmare. I... Um, still think the first one is is the best, um, and I felt a lot of the sequels had um, were just really misguided, um, and you know just were so imbalanced with their handling of the idea and the the mythology of it all. So I was excited. I was looking forward to seeing some fresh fresh ideas, um, and yeah, there were bits that I really liked about this. Um, you know, it was, it was, it, like you said before, it was glossy, but it still had a kind of indie flair and, uh, slight griminess to it. Um, um, but I, I, it didn't quite impact me the way that I thought it would. Um, you know, I really, yes, I loved the moments, um, with Freddie's backstory and that sort of alternate sort of take on who he was and what he did. Um, and that the possibility that he could be innocent, great, loved all that. Um, but Freddie himself, I found, um, very difficult. I found it very difficult to engage and, um, accept the character, I guess. And I don't know if that's because we've watched all these films now and it's such a fixed idea of what he looks like or, or how I want him to be and look and the sort of sinister vibes that I want to get from him. I just felt, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't impact me the way that I was expecting. And that was from down to the look. Um, and, and the voice as well. I felt initially when I first heard him, I felt it reminded me of Bane yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, in the sense that it was this very kind of deliberate voice, which then, uh, you know, had effects on it, and like the volume of it seemed really raised mm. at one point, and almost didn't seem in sync with his his mouth and his movements. That's how I was reading it, and I and I can see how 
like you were saying, it maybe was playing with the restriction because it, they were trying to make it realistic as far as being a Burns victim. I'm sure it was probably VO for all of his parts, to be yeah, honest. But. For me, it felt really disconnected from his performance and the the voice Yeah, um, for many parts of it. And, and there were parts where Freddie, for me... Um, lacked any I, I guess soul lacked something that I could latch onto or fear or or uh, even dislike and hate and there wasn't there wasn't there was something there was I don't know what it was but there was something that was missing for me mm. um, which was so key because we see him so much he speaks so much in this one and he has such an interesting and rich backstory as uh, particularly with his connection to these children uh, who are now teenagers. Um, but I felt like I just lacked, uh, like you said, these films that uh, Platinum Dunes can make glossy films that lack soul. And for me, that was it. It lacked, it lacked a, a sort of soul. And, and, and Freddie, who is this sort of the heartbeat of these films for me was just not, just didn't have it, mm. that kind of impact. Okay. Yeah. So would you recommend this movie um, to people? Uh, do you need a moment? Yeah, I do need a moment. Okay. I'll do my spiel and then we can both say at the end. Yeah. Only people in suspense. I uh, apologize if, if uh, we've, we're going on, if we're sounding too negative about this movie. I'm not talking about what you were just saying. I just went through and I kind of lost I lost the enthusiasm to talk about it, but it doesn't mean that I don't like this movie. I'm frustrated with this movie, like I am yeah. with all Platinum Dunes movies. That's my problem with it. My problem with it, and the reason why I'm sounding so down, is just because, particularly watching it this time, for me, my second time removed from stuff, I'm way more open to it. I actually don't have a problem with Freddy in this movie. Uh, like I say, there's a few little things here and there, his stature and stuff, and some of the effects they do on him. But I don't have a problem with the performance. I don't have a problem really how he looks. I don't really have a problem with his voice. Or how they're playing the character. Um, I actually really liked it. And I was just, I'm ready for this now, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel I've done everything the other one had to do and seen all the sides that we could get from Robert Englund. I'm happy for something completely new. And I like that they go really horrible with him. And for me, he is horrible. Um, and one of my favorite things about this movie, and I have it written down here somewhere, is I find Freddy in this movie just loathsome. Um, I really do. I find him just horrible. And the kind of insinuations they do with him with the kids and the sexuality that they bring into it. And just the way... He has a moment where he... Um, he Yeah, he plays with the victim for six more minutes because he says to him, did you realize that once your heart stops beating, your head is still active for seven minutes? That's that means right. we've got yeah. six more minutes to play. And the the kid is still alive in the dream state but he's dead in real life. And this is, that's a horrible idea of yeah. that they've never played with before. Of, oh, he gets six more minutes to play with his victim. And he just wants to do that. And in the other ones, I felt he got a lot of fun out of stuff. In this, it's something darker than fun. You know, mm -hmm. it's just this primordial desire to want to just enjoy someone's pain, mm -hmm. but not in a rambunctious, you know, I don't know, like partying sort of way that really Robert Englund tweeted it. This is something way more sinister. Um, and I really like that. I really like yeah. that about this movie. I think it's, yeah, very stylish and beautiful. It started off and I, I loved how it started. But uh, my problem with this film 
It's yes. That, that once again, there's no fucking soul with a Planet of Dunes film. Um, and I think probably the least amount of soul that I've seen in a Planet of Dunes film. And that's really annoying because this could be a great film. This really could be a great film. And as I was watching it this time, I was genuinely thinking, you know what? I can fix this. Like people could fix this. You just need to edit it a little bit more. You need to put in the fucking music track because I'm not kidding around. I'm really not. You filled that opening scene in the diner with a jukebox going in the background. Atmosphere is immediately there. There's some, if the characters aren't being enthusiastic, at least the music can to juxtapose the horror and mm-hmm. make it more interesting. Instead, it's just drab, drab, drab all the way through because a lot of the scenes are too long. The script is bad. I can't fix that in post, but the script is bad, but it could be rectified with quick editing, some new music. But the quintessential problems for me, or the main quintessential problem, and I only realized this towards the end and you can't fix that, is that this film opens, and I understand why they did it, it opens with all the characters in one place. And so you get to know everybody. And part of the problem is you don't really like, I didn't really like anybody mm-hmm. other than Chris. Um, Chris, I immediately liked. And then Dean kills himself in front of everybody. This is in the opening scene of the movie. From that point on, everybody saw Dean kill himself in the opening scene of the movie, which means nobody is allowed to have any fun. Nobody, because of that. Like, no one's going to be happy after that. Nobody at all. And they're treating this realistically. We just watched Freddy vs. Jason. Someone dies, the next scene they're at a party. That's a different type of movie. I like this is more serious. But that is a bad mistake to make because it means nothing. There's no charisma can come into a movie after that. Um, In A Nightmare on Elm Street 1, someone dies and no one else around is there. So everyone else can continue with their normal lives while someone's in torture. And you get that loneliness of that person trying to convince people and then build their group around them. and, And like Johnny Depp's still trying to have fun even when Nancy's really like all the way in on this stuff and knows the horrible stuff that's happening. And Johnny Depp still doesn't believe her, you know? that's fun and that's more realistic and it adds context to the world and depth to the world in this movie because they start like that there's no way back like Mm -hmm. it really is from that first scene they're fucked um and that's really frustrating like really really frustrating oh man this movie i really want to like it i really really do and honestly as i kind of said earlier i don't like nancy i don't like her at all i like rooney mara i think she's a good actress she's so boring in mm-hmm. this film and maybe you'd get away if Quentin was better Quentin normally can be fine and stuff as well the kid who does him really boring in this film mm-hmm. uh, that dude we're talking about with the fringe and from Village of Them not great he's just not great. just not great either honestly for me Chris is the only interesting character and I would have been with this movie more if she had continued through I was getting emotions from her I was getting reactions from her I was engaged with her mm-hmm. but they kill her off first well second um, so I was kind of done if you had her maybe teaming up with Aaron Yu from his video blog going on this adventure that'd be cool I would have been in because I guess like yeah with Quentin he was I mean yeah both him and Rooney Mara both great actors I thought very mm. good at what they did but they didn't really have much room to move there's no their chemistry characters. there's yeah. no character to it <laughs> yeah I just I honestly it's so hard to engage with any of the scenes. Mm-hmm. And there are some cool scenes here. Yeah, know? there's some we, great stuff. Um, visually cool and played out pretty cool. And if you can get on board with, you know, Freddy, uh, I appreciate it if you can't, I really do, because I couldn't last time. But I was happy whenever Freddy was on screen. I was looking forward to him, even though I didn't want to see him quite as clearly. I wanted to keep him in the shadows. 
but I was happy. I was like, cool, Freddy's back, and I'm enjoying this scene. Oh, man, I just... So hard to judge this film, and yeah. I feel this way at the end of almost every Planet of Dunes. Of I hate it, and I kind of love it, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do with these emotions. Uh, I recently, when we did Friday Thirteenth <laughs> once, we got to the Platinum Dunes Friday Thirteenth. I've seen that movie a lot, um, and I realized, you know what? I'm going to be unapologetic. I love the Friday Thirteenth remake. I think it's a lot of fun, and arguably the second best, or even best, Friday Thirteenth movie in some ways even though it still lacks some soul, but there's some fun. Aaron Yu's in that movie all the way, so (laughs) there's some fun in that movie. Um, And people are enjoying themselves and having sex and partying and stuff. This one's a tough recommend. It really is. Um, What have I recommended so far? I think that's how I have to gauge this. What have I recommended? I've recommended you watch number one. I've recommended you watch number three. And I've recommended you watch number seven. Can I recommend this? Yes. Yes, I can. I'm going to recommend this movie. Um, I think there's a lot good in it. I think it's a valuable piece. Um, I think it does some brave, interesting things. I think visually it's cool. But go in with an open mind about Freddy. Um, allow yourself to, you know, to, to go for something different. I, man, if they had gone yeah. with the innocent man thing, that would have been great as well. They'd followed through on him being innocent. Um, yeah. I don't know. This is one of those movies I hope this time I'd know exactly how I felt about it and I still don't know mm-hmm. how I feel about this film. But I'm going to recommend it because I think there's some value in it. I really do. Um, and I definitely think it's... From all the shit we've watched, <laughs> we've watched some real shit on this journey and we're at the oh, end yeah. of it now. Yeah. We watched some real crap. Most of the time enjoyable crap. You know, we could laugh at it at least. Sometimes not. Sometimes just tedious. Dream child. We judge these movies as we say every time. Do we get behind the victims? Do we get behind Freddy? Is it fun or is it scary? That's mm-hmm. kind of the criteria we painted pretty early with these films. Yeah. So that's how I'm going to do it then. Okay. Is it fun? No. Is it scary? No, I wouldn't say scary, but sinister. I think it is for sinister. Sure. So yeah. I'm going to kind of say yes for that because I think it gives a, good, a mood of sinister mm-hmm. to a degree. Maybe half a point for that one. Yeah. Do I get behind Freddy? Absolutely not. I think this is the most loathsome Freddy has ever been. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think if you're going to go down this road of a child molester, it's not good for the franchise. It's not good for making money or selling merchandise. I think it's a bad business decision. But as a movie, yes, I think it's great that I find him loathsome in this film. Do I get behind the characters? I get behind Chris and they kill her off halfway. So that's half a point for both of those things for me, which adds up to one vouching point. So I'm just going to let it through then. Just gets a recommendation. Okay. Alex, have you had time to think? I have, actually. Um, Yeah, I I sit in a sort of similar place with you. There's many things that I like about this film, and and there's things that I don't like, and it's a tough sort of place to sit because... I I, just, I I feel so unsure about do I really like it or do I really not like it? Um, you have a friend who's into horror movies. Like, would uh, you recommend them this? That's um, the thing. And you know what? I'd like to... It's This is probably a film I'd like to come back to like and have a see if I have a similar experience to you where it's like, okay, cool. Now I can, I can just let go of mm-hmm. the old Freddy attachment. Um... um yeah, and I do think he is at his most uh, loathsome, but I also appreciate that for a, a moment they make you question that. Yeah. Uh, 
And I love that sort of manipulation of an audience of like, maybe he's okay. And then they make you feel gross for thinking that when yeah, it's all revealed. When the puddle was, yeah. um, so this is what I'm going to say. I am going to recommend this film. Um, and I'm going to recommend it for these reasons. Uh, this film has brought in a lot of ideas, although not necessarily all of them executed, um, that I felt were necessary to restart the the franchise, to bring in elements where it's, uh, you know, Freddy is perhaps more human and more more sinister in his in his intent and his actions and um you know pulling down that wackiness um but yeah like we've discussed the balance of all that and the world that these people live in isn't quite right yet because it was just so drab but i recommend it on the fact that there's ideas here that are relevant to keep the franchise going if it wants to go. Mm-hmm. And I think people need to see this film and get behind it to get excited about the ideas that have worked and are important for the franchise to continue for the people that make these films or New Line to kind of be... To see what, yeah. Yeah, to be on board, to be like, cool, let's... To keep being brave and trying new things. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Which I think is important. Um and that's that's why I would recommend it. Okay. Yeah. So we've got two recommendations, but with quite a few caveats. <laughs> yeah, lots yeah. of caveats. Um, so let me finish off with a few other bit of facts about this movie, which I thought you might find interesting. And then we'll talk very briefly about what's going to happen next in the franchise mm-hmm. uh, that we know of. Um, so the director said when he was finally convinced to make this movie, quote, if I have to tell you what my main influence was, I'd say without a doubt that The Dark Knight is a hell of a movie, which doesn't tell you what's his influence. <laughs> uh, in fact, I told all my cast and crew that we must do with Freddy what Christopher Nolan did with Batman. I'm trying to make a dark and serious film, and I hope I'm achieving that. One of the most extraordinary aspects of The Dark Knight is the way it integrates Batman into a believable world, and I want to do just the same with Freddy. That doesn't mean, of course, that the classic elements of the mythology will be absent from our nightmare on Elm Street. So I didn't want to read you that before because I didn't want you to be, you know, your opinion to be swayed by mm-hmm. what the director was trying to do. He definitely did something more dark and serious. Yeah. And we can agree with that. <sighs> Comparing it to The Dark Knight. <laughs> There's fun in that movie. That's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, this is a problem, I think, with these people. They don't understand making a gritty serious movie doesn't mean you have to be boring and tedious. Yeah. You know, your characters can still have fun even if your world is serious. Yeah. Um, an interesting other tidbit is Warner Brothers wanted to post-convert this film into 3D and shockingly, Michael Bay wouldn't let them. <laughs> can you believe it? They're like, he loves 3D. Yeah. Uh, but on behalf of Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay uh, said no when the studio wanted to slap a gimmick on the movie in order to make money. Uh, the director and all the other producers agreed with Bay and obviously they eventually convinced Warner Brothers New Line that a 3D post-conversion was a bad idea, uh, which I thought that was interesting. Um, and the last fact I have is that this is the eighth highest grossing slasher film of all time. Okay. Um, but not with inflation, which is kind of important. But this movie was cost $35 million to make, so $10 million than Freddy vs. Jason. Um, so the most expensive of the series by far. Uh, and it made 117 million, which is only three million, two and a half million more than Freddy vs. Jason. Um, so it wasn't worth that extra money for them um, in terms of 
how much it returned, but still technically the highest gross, um, or uh, yeah, of any of the films. So as of 2014, I don't think there's been any substantial slashes since then. Uh, 63 million dollars uh, domestic f- for Nightmare on Elm Street is still good enough to make it the eighth highest-grossing slasher film of all time, trailing the Friday the 13th remake, which made 65 million. I know what you did last summer, which did 72 million. The Texas Chainsaw Re- Massacre remake, which made 80 million. Freddy vs. Jason, which made 82 million. And then above that, all of the original Scream films, the original Scream trilogy. The first Scream's 103 million, making it the king of all slashes. Uh, but once you adjust the, the, the ticket price of inflation, this is what happens with the Elm Street. This is interesting. Elm Street then plummets to 24th on that list from 8th. Um, and it's passed on that list by Elm Street 2, which <laughs> is at 21. Freddy's Dead, which is at 20. Dream Warriors at 12 and Dream Master at 10 on the list of highest grossing slashes of all time. time. Worse yet, with its $35 million budget, the 2010 Elm Street cost at least twice as much as any of these movies to make. So it wasn't really the success that you needed it to be, even though that's a great return. $117 million just, just on box office. Is that enough though for them to push on so you said what you want us to go next is you want them to get braver you want them to like look at this for inspiration but not necessarily follow on directly is that what you're trying to say yeah I, I think I think there were some really solid ideas here um, I I had said in previous podcasts that this was the kind of tone and direction that I wanted the story to go into mm-hmm. um, so you know I would hope that New Line would take inspiration from the bits that work in this film um, tonally and that's why it's so frustrating because it tends to be when they do something like this if it doesn't get the reception that they want then they think well we're entirely wrong with our idea let's do a different direction mm-hmm. and maybe the truth is you're right with your idea you just didn't nail it yeah yeah <laughs> that's the problem so I've scoured the internet I don't keep on top of Nightmare like I do some of the other franchises uh, but I knew that there's a lot of talk of a new film it's been six years since this one which is crazy like mm-hmm. how long these are taking as of all I could hear, uh, all I could get, the most recent info was from last year. So this may have changed by now, but I couldn't find any more updates. Um, so, what did I say? New Line is planning to remake A Nightmare on Elm Street again. So they want to completely scratch this movie, recast everyone again, and start Shit. all over again. Um, Platinum Dunes isn't listed currently as a producer on the project. Uh, it's actually still vacant who's going to be making it with New Line as for the writer New Line has tapped orphan scribe David Leslie Johnson to bring the red and green uh, Freddy Krueger back Um, Toby Emmerich uh, Walter Hamada and Dave Naustada I don't know we'll oversee for New Line Um, for those unacquainted with the writer um, he is also writing the Warner Brothers Dungeons and Dragons adaptation um he also is a writer for the walking dead um he did the wrath of the titans which was a horrible film um and he currently just penned the the conjuring sequel which has just come out as of doing this podcast this week and he's doing disney's horror something wicked this way comes so he's a very busy man i've heard good things about the conjuring everything else he's done that i've seen orphan wrath titans and stuff is awful Mm um so i'm yeah not sure how i feel about that but Going back and remaking it again. Yeah. 
so a reboot is kind of i guess maybe it's just a reboot in a sense of well we're not going to have um what's his face jackie ha- earl haley i always want to call him Haley joel osmond but that's a very different person <laughs> jackie earl haley he'd be interesting freddy krueger <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah we're not gonna have him we're not gonna have rooney mara that's what i take it being mm-hmm. i really hope it's not a well we're gonna tell the same story there's gonna be a nancy again there's gonna be a yeah. tina or a tina substitute again we're gonna recreate these kills i really hope it's just a let's find you know we don't need to tell this backstory again mm-hmm. i'm done with freddy's backstory personally yeah um and i hope they just find a way to tell like we were saying before there's so many creative ways mm-hmm. to do a completely different story to just drop people in i want like an it follows style you know one with just a group of kids like i was saying before i still want that idea like a slumber party yeah. thing some, something sort of a one night even i'd enjoy that um what do you want well, like what can they do if they're remaking this alex how can i make you happy <sighs> Can they not make any happy? Are you an impossible man to make happy now? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I. It's interesting that you're, yeah that they're remaking it now because if we're going off this latest remake, uh, for me it would just be like, okay, we'll, we'll just refine a few a few things. You know, focus on your characters a bit more and, mm-hmm. and developing them and um, and. Uh, we don't technically see Aaron you die so bring him in please <laughs> yeah yeah uh you know and put freddie in the shadows a little bit more other than that it's all good um but to say okay well we're gonna remake it start from scratch again well i don't know i mean i like your idea about the 24 hour yeah just drop it right in like let's you know he's been a, a pop icon pop culture icon for 30 years hmm so trust that people understand the basis of who he is. So just, yeah, drop in. I like that. Right in the middle of Kids something. already know all about it and they're in the middle of yeah, the story yeah. or something. Um, it's been weird because, yeah, I normally have a very impassioned idea of where I want a horror franchise to go. Mm-hmm. Like doing a Friday 13th movie is one of my dreams for my career. I, I, one day I've determined I'll make a Friday 13th movie. With Norman Elm Street, I've never known where I wanted to go. I've never really had an impassion. This is what I want to see from this series. I, mm-hmm. If they offer, you know, in my dream world where people offer me movies, I always think, oh, what would I do if someone offered me this or this? Or how would you tackle that? Whenever I give myself that idea of what would I do if someone offered me a Norman Elm Street, I have no clue. I have no clue. But now I really do. From watching these, now I genuinely have an idea of, yeah, what I would want. I don't think it's what most people <laughs> would want. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'd like from a Nightmare on Elm Street movie focused small time frame just kids remove all the parents for whatever reason i can find that they're not yeah. around um and they already know the law about him and just make it way more yeah, just fun but more serious you know yeah like make it way more realistic like it follows but allow them to have you know real teenage interactions in that environment yeah i i think i and i want something that evokes real fear in me and makes me feel scared Mm -hmm. because none of the films have maybe there's elements in the first one that that do that but overall very rarely felt scared through these films yeah yeah you know do you want to back him do you want to be backing freddy because i'm kind of happy not backing freddy no i mean i've never wanted to back freddy okay it's that's not what it's about I, i i'd rather be in a position where um, I'm fearful yeah. of that character. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, 
and that it's it's clear. I mean, it is clear that he is uh, morally at the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. of everyone else, and that's that's fine, you know. Okay. And and yeah, I was thinking about it the other night actually, um, and thinking about you know the things that we fear as children. I remember reading something about it. Um, are so strong in our adult selves, like simple things. Uh, and I remember seeing like a, a little comic strip of the things that we fear as kids. And it was like the monster under the bed. And, you know, you can evoke these, those emotions back in adults. Yeah. And like, for me, it's like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, child murderer, killer. It's like, okay, that's already terrifying. Then in your dreams, the vulnerability of that. Yeah. And it's like, there's so much there. There's so much richness in there. I feel to kind of, evoke that those emotions and that fear yeah and, and i want someone to tap into that properly yeah it's an interesting thing because as much as they don't you know as much as i didn't enjoy it when i went crazy with the dreamscapes it's a fun thing to play with the dreams in terms of the surrealness of what you can do mm-hmm. and in this the snow in her bedroom was about as far as we went yeah, like yeah they don't do much with the dreamscapes in this and that is a problem i don't want them to get yeah goofy inventive mm-hmm. but it's certainly sort of david lynch inventive you could get with this to make it yeah yeah um i think there's a lot you can do still with this character with this series i just hope people can see outside of the box i hope the creators can see outside of the boxes that have already been made for them and i more than that i hope the fans can i hope the fans can embrace a different way to do freddy Mm -hmm. um and allow creators to be interesting with them i really do yeah all right alex this is the end we did it the end so it's not quite the end because next week we will be back with our final wrap-up show we're going to be talking through the entire series as a whole and we're going to be talking uh placing our favorite uh well we're going to place the list going from our worst to our favorite ranking all of the films that's what i'm trying to think of yeah ranking all the films um we're also going to be talking about who was our final uh our favorite final girl uh what was our favorite freddy look and what was our favorite freddy kill as well um in the movies just so people know though Currently, we, we kind of, we recommended all the same movies. You recommended one more than me, which was, uh, so we rec- both recommended number one, number three, uh, f- uh, Wes Graham's New Nightmare, Freddy vs. Jason, this remake, and then you recommended <laughs> Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, yeah. which is why I was wondering with this one, because if you didn't recommend this, but you recommended Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, yeah. I would have been very interested. No, I, I made sure I was very clear on all my reasons. You were, you were, <laughs> for both of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for joining us if we're sounding sleepy it's because it's 3.15 in the fucking morning I'm very tired and despite these movies I'm finally ready to get some sleep me too (laughs) (laughs) but really thank you for joining us we have a Friday 13th retrospective up and we're going to be doing Halloween after this and Scream later in the year someone wants to do paranormal activity I know and then we might even do some non-horrors I hear some of our team want to do Lord of the Rings and fucking james bond was thrown in the ring it's like no no way is everyone sitting through that many my god no Um, thanks but maybe it'll happen who knows if you want to find out we also have a weekly show just called geeks geeks uh where we talk about movies and video games in a topical show uh where there's a whole bunch of us we all join in it's a good time uh more energy than this that's for sure uh so head over to itunes type in geeks type in tessellate type in friday 13th or nightmare on elm street find our we are tessellate feed it will link you to all of them you can subscribe to us leave us comments and ratings it really does help us seriously please do that um, and also, if you want to see video versions of these, you can go to YouTube, type in We Are Test Late, find our feed, and subscribe to that. You can see what Alex is doing right now with his fingers. Um, 
And if you want to see everything else, or you just want an easy way to get to all that, go to We Are Tessellate. We Are Tessellate. That's our business. Two S's, two L's, uh, dot com. And that is where you can list out to all our social medias, to all our podcasts, and you can see our movies because we're a production company. If you're not tired of hearing it, run out of LA, run out of Tokyo, run out of London. Oh, we no. make web series. We're making short films. We're doing music videos. Some new stuff is coming up this year. And we're right now making our first feature film, which is called Starfish. We have some cool slasher films coming up after that, which I'm excited about. We're developing right now. Um, I've been your host on this nightmarish journey, Al White. You can follow me on all social medias, Mr. Al White. And Alex has been joining me. I have been. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram um, at Alexander Chard. Chard like the vegetable. <laughs> Chard. Not... <laughs> Thank you so much for putting up with us throughout this journey. We appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed watching the films with us. And please come back. We'll see you next time for next week for our series retrospective. Bye. And we're out. Geeks. Geeks.